Hi, Pastor Rob here from City East Church and MTL Ministries. What you hold is true. Is it really truth? Will what you believe get you through on Judgment Day? Are you keeping to the pattern of sound teaching held out in Scripture? In this series, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, I intend to deliver messages that check the solidness of our Christian foundation so as to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to us as Christ's ambassadors on this earth. Matthew 13, 24, and it reads, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? And an enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling, the, pulling up the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them into bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring them into my barn. Now, an important point that we can take from that is that the weeds and the wheat were allowed to grow together. And it would, uh, the Lord made sure that they grow together, right? Which is, in a sense, it's a, a telling us that this is why we have evil with us on this planet. It's allowed to grow with the righteous. We're allowed to live with the righteous. So let's go now down to 36 where he explains the parable. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. And he answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man, or Jesus Christ. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. That at the very last day at the rapture, the rapturers are the angels, the Lord. They're the ones who lift those up that believe in Jesus. So as the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out his kingdom, everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace and understand this, it says where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Some will try to tell you that when you die and if you go to hell that you won't experience anything, it's annihilation. Well, if it's annihilation, why is there weeping and gnashing of teeth if they're annihilated? Jesus added that to make sure it's, that it's clear that it's eternal torment, weeping and gnashing of teeth. It means extreme pain is when you gnash your teeth. So then the righteous will shine at that time like the sun in the kingdom of their father and then he says he who has ears let him hear and what he means is if you hear this and you respond then okay so be it if you don't hear and don't respond so be it so it's only those with ears to hear this that will respond and change their life and turn to Jesus Christ 
Now we'll go on one one more parable that he uses, which is once again, this is verse 47, once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish into baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, so there's the good fish and the bad fish. There will be a sorting, and that is the end of the age. All right, so the average person today, and even the average Christian, have no concept of this coming time. They really have no concept of what's about to come upon humanity as a whole. It's going to come upon every single one of us now. You know, the younger you are, the more likely you feel that it's a long way off. But, you know, time is fleeting. The, the Bible says time is fleeting. Uh, it's just, it's gone like a vapour. Before you know it, you're an old lady or an old man, and the next thing you know, you've passed on. So, and you'll be wondering, what happened to that life? And, you know, if you haven't considered judgment, if you haven't considered God and turned to him and given him all your heart, then you're in a really sticky position at that time because you're going to face an eternal hell. Literally, that's what the Bible tells us. The average Christian and the average person today have no concept of this time when men will be judged by a righteous, good and holy God. You know, I'm telling you this, but you know what? I'm going to be judged. I'm going to be judged according to what I've done, according to my deeds. Now, as far as I stand in God now, according to Scripture, I am saved. If I die in a car accident right now, I know I'm saved. Right? And I'm sure most of you here know you're saved deep in your heart because we've gone over the doctrines of salvation and we understand what it is to be saved. Amen? Now, a lot of Christians are deceived in their doctrines of salvation. They're told that no matter what you do, you can't lose it. And they go, okay, great. That's a free-for-all. I can do whatever, whatever I want. Paul called that a license for immorality or a license to sin. There is no such thing. There is no license that is given because of grace. Grace is that we can, if we stay under grace, we stay walking a sinless life. And the grace given to us is the ability to repent when we do sin. But if you live a life of sin, then you've trampled the Lord God underfoot and you've treated his cross disrespectfully. And there's no salvation for those people who have known all these things and then turned and walked away from God in that sense and lived this wretched life of sin. You know, and then they've got this vague memory of, oh, yeah, I've, I've received Jesus in my life. I've really you've got no sign of Jesus in your life. Your life doesn't reflect Jesus in your life. It's just a statement to you. It's a, a statement in your past. But you have to reflect a life in Christ, and therefore it'll, it'll show. Amen? It'll show. So I've heard atheists say to me, do you know this is what a lot of people think? That if God exists and I stand before God, that he would judge me according to my contribution to society. They say that. They actually think, oh, I'm a good person. I've done the good thing because they keep on thinking judgment is about their righteousness and their goodness. And they, they think if he does exist, then I've done good things, so I'm going to get into heaven. Deny him until that moment, and then they get, their, and, and then they get to the judgment and they'll be pleading their righteousness. 
and their goodness and their contributions to society, and they think that that's going to, you know, get them into heaven, and it's, it's a farce. Men love to invent in their minds a God who will bend to suit them. They like to create a God in their minds of a God that just bends and changes according to what they think how they should be judged. You know, is it ludicrous to think that if you stand in a human court and that you can tell the judge how to, be, how to judge you? You know, I did this terrible thing, but you can't judge me because of that. You've got to treat me right. You've got to do, judge me according to my standards. A human judge will just look at you and say, you're in my court, buddy. You're under my jurisdiction. I don't care what you think. I believe you should go to prison and that's where you're going. And you can argue, you can fight and scream and whatever and they'll just handcuff you behind your back, shove you through the door, off to, off to prison you go. And if that's the case in a human court, how much more in the court of God? So what I'm saying is if you, if you don't want to go to a human court, you, you find out what the law is, don't you? Human laws, if you obey human laws generally, you don't go to human courts, do you? Unless you're framed or set up or, or whatever, you know. But in God's kingdom, God has his law. And it's a little bit different, all that sort you of know, stuff. But there's certain sins that humanity sort of overlook. But God is a righteous and holy God. And when someone comes to Jesus, then he expects a complete life change, a complete life turnaround. And now once that's done and then completed, then God will judge you according to that. So those that lived according to that will not be judged in, as far as their salvation goes. They will receive it. But according to how well you lived in that will be the place you have in heaven and the riches that you've built in heaven. Um, but I've cut that quite brief there's a lot more to that I should go into that one day but according to he lost humanity who do not even bother to look into the law of God what hope have they got and there's some scriptures we're going to bring up about that but my point is doesn't doesn't God's or doesn't creation need to bend before the creator don't you think what what are we doing trying to tell God how to do the judging we've got to judge ourselves in light of the law of God, the grace of God, the spirit of God. And we've got to live according to that so that when we come before God on judgment, that we know in our heart of hearts that we've lived according to his righteous standard. And that's what I preach on. That's why I preach on it all the time, because you guys will, you're going to get to heaven and you'll know I've lived according to the righteous standard of God because well, Rob made sure it was clear in my mind. He preached on it all the time, and sometimes I just about yawned I've heard it so much, but at least you're hearing it. You know, just thank God that you hear it because you know how many churches don't preach this stuff? Just, you know, there's a good percentage. I would hate to see what the percentage is. I think it would be shocking that how many that don't preach the truth of walking in holiness and righteousness and being prepared to, you know, uh, sacrifice all to live for him. You know, those sort of concepts are, are, are exempt from most churches. They don't teach on it anymore. They don't teach on sin. They don't teach on holiness and repentance. So just thank God that you get it taught, even if it might be I bash it home a bit too much, but I, I still think you can't really bash it home too much. You know, it needs to be said. It needs to be said and continually reminded. Because if you don't hear it all week, at least you hear it for an hour in a, on a Sunday. 
and hopefully that's enough to kick you forward for the next week. And then you hear it again the next Sunday and you kick forward for another week. But you know what will happen, and, and this is our concern, you know, when we go to Greece, for, there will be four weeks without church. Keep yourselves topped up. Listen to sermons. Listen, get on our YouTube channel and listen to some old sermons. Listen to some Joe Schimmel sermons. Do something on Sunday morning, which is like a devotional time if you don't go to another church. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, put on some uh, sermons and stuff. Get it into your heart because it is good and holy and righteous. It's going to change you to deep to the core and it's going to keep you fired up for God. And that's what I'm worried is, you know, five weeks in five weeks' time that you've, you know, haven't considered God for that whole time. Don't let that be the case. Amen? Amen. We need to bend to our Creator, and the Bible is rich with insights into how Jesus will judge us. The Bible is so rich with insights in, in how, what's going to happen on Judgment Day, there should be no reason why we get there and go, oh, didn't realise this was going to happen. Gee, is that the case? I didn't think it was this, you know, was going to be the case with me. I thought I fulfilled everything. I thought I was walking under grace. Don't let that be the case, that you get to heaven and are shocked that you're not included among the righteous. Make sure you're included among the righteous. And the Bible tells us heaps about it. It also it tells us what kind of verdicts Jesus will pronounce on those days. It's going to even say, it even says in the Bible what he is going to say on that day. What he's going to say, the actual words. One of the things he's going to say, and you've heard this many times, Lord, Lord, people come to him, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and perform many miracles in your name? And then Jesus will say, uh, he'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So we know that there's going to be Christians who are going to get there thinking they've got access to heaven. And Jesus is going to say, get away. Get away. So they're going to be words we're going to hear and just make sure that they're not directed at you. Amen? Be nothing worse. He is telling us these things ahead of time so that we can be changed by knowing them. If you don't know them, how are you going to be changed by them? That's why Jesus gives us insight into these through his parables about what's going to happen on Judgment Day because knowing them changes the way you live. Knowing them changes the way I live dramatically. You know, it, it keeps me looking to him every day. I keep reminding myself of his judgments. I keep reminding myself of, uh, you know, his call to holiness on my life and to walk in the spirit. One of my regular morning prayers is, Lord, clothe me with Jesus Christ. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to die to self today and live for you. You know, I regularly pray that prayer. Lord, do that in me. And you should be praying those prayers too in the morning. First thing, if you, if you pray nothing else, at least pray that. Now, John 16, 7 to 11 says, But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away, because unless I go away, the Advocate, and the Advocate is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. So he, the Holy Spirit's here to prove to the world that they're in the wrong about sin. Now, that could mean in about, about sin because they, or everyone's got their own opinion on what sin is and many, of them, many people don't even believe that you can sin or, you know, they've got these stupid 
weird and wonderful concepts. So if you don't look to the Bible for what it tells us about sin and you make up your own opinion about what sin is, then you can be as righteous as you want to be, depending on where you want to draw the line. You know, there's people that are serial killers and they think they're doing God's service. They think they're in God's service and they're killing people. You know, it's just crazy. If you don't look to the word of God and say that, see that murder is a sin and you don't commit it no matter what, you know. That's why I always wonder about Islam. They murder people. They call themselves martyrs. They're not martyrs. They're murderers. They strap bombs to themselves, commit suicide, which is a sin, and they murder people and then they call themselves martyrs to boot. How come murdering isn't a heinous crime in the Quran? That's my question. That tells you straight away. That tells you straight away. Beware of Islam. Because they don't see murder as a crime. They see it as a martyrdom. You know, it doesn't say in the Bible anywhere, you know, convert the masses and if they don't turn to Jesus, kill them. (laughs) It doesn't say that. Convert them. If they don't want to receive it, then shake the dust off your feet. That's about the worst we go. We just shake the dust off our feet. Okay, you don't want to receive Jesus. Some might get into a bit of an argument. But Islam, take it the next step. They kill you. You know, they're going to be held accountable before a holy God for all of that. Every single person who murders is going to be held accountable. He's going to be some of the first people that God is going to judge, the murderers. So when he comes, he'll prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. This is the Holy Spirit. About sin because people do not believe in me. There's the sin. That's the sin. That's the main sin that is going to put everyone in hell. Every single person, one common denominator, they all might have different levels of personal sin, but the main sin that is going to divide the sheep from the goats is not believing in Jesus. That's the sin, not believing in Jesus. Because people do not believe in me about righteousness because I go to the Father. He's there. He's, he's with the Father right now. He's righteous and holy. That's the only reason he could be with the Father right now. If he wasn't righteous and holy, he would never entered into the kingdom of God. He was sinless. Where you can see me no longer. We can't see Jesus now, but we know he's coming. We have faith in his second coming, but he's gone away so that the world can carry on and do its own thing and outwork and fulfill everything that it has to fulfill and then the end will come. That's why Jesus is delaying because things must get completed down here. Evil and sin must work out itself to its fullness. All right? If sin is left unfulfilled, then Jesus can't come yet. It must be fulfilled. Satan must do his complete work according to Scripture. And when that moment is up, Jesus returns. Bang, right there and then. His wrath comes and then he comes. His wrath comes. So his wrath is not poured out on, on the righteous either. He will protect his righteous who are here, just like he did in Goshen when he poured out his wrath on the Egyptians You know, when it was dark in Egypt, it was light in Goshen, where his people, the Israelites, were. He made a distinction between the two. That was like a simile of the coming tribulation. The simile was with Egypt. You know, at the Passover, they went around and killed all the firstborn all around Egypt, 
But because those that were believing in Jesus or in God at that time were under the blood that they put on the lentils of their homes, the destroying angel passed over them. They passed over them, right? If you stay under the blood, the judgments of God will pass over you. Amen. And then it says, where you can see me no longer and about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Satan is condemned. He's a condemned villain. He's here. He has a short time to do what he has to do, and he's doing it really, really effectively, just as the Bible said he would. Uh, but he stands condemned. At the end of this, uh, the tribulation, he will be thrown into the abyss and locked up for a thousand years. And the, the, there will be a remnant of uh, humanity that don't believe in Jesus that will come into the millennial kingdom. They'll have the peace they've always, you know, coveted. But there will be a resurrection, and we will be part of the resurrection, right? Whether we are alive or, or asleep in God, we'll be resurrected at that time when Jesus comes and we'll be brought into the millennial kingdom. And just as Jesus was resurrected, he could still uh, commune with his disciples who weren't in a resurrection body, you know, weren't in their imperishable body. Jesus was in it. His disciples weren't, but they could connect, right? But he could do things like walk through walls, couldn't he, in that body? Now, when we get into the millennial kingdom, there will be the same issue. There will be those in, in imperishable bodies. That will be part of the first resurrection. We will be part of that if we hold to faith in Jesus Christ. But there will be those that will be a remnant that had survived the tribulation that will be on earth who will be uh, with the same mindset, probably still you know, trying to turn to Jesus, living for a thousand years, and they will have children and there will be descendants for that thousands of years or 1,000 years. And at the end of that 1,000 years, Satan will be released. And why? To tempt those who had, who had got through the tribulation and had their descendants, to tempt them to rebel against God once more, to see if their hearts had truly changed because of this 1,000 years of peace. But the Bible tells us that just about all of them will attack Jesus' kingdom, proving that these these guys are rotten to the core <laughs> and they'll amass themselves and they'll come and they'll attack the heavenly city in Jerusalem and fire will come from heaven and devour them and then the white throne judgment will take place. Powerful, powerful judgment where all of those that had rebelled and plus everyone else from history who had rebelled against God will be thrown into the lake of burning sulfur. Hell itself and death will be thrown into the lake of burning sulfur. Hell is a holding place it's like the county jail before you get to the uh, where you get held until judgment. You're in the county jail. Once the judgment's pronounced, you get thrown into the real jail. So hell is, if they think hell's bad, it's nothing compared to the real jail, which is the lake of burning sulfur. Revelation 11:18 says, And the nations were angry, and your wrath is come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged. Get this, the nations were angry. They're angry. Are the nations angry now? Can you see angry, you know, leaders of countries? And, you know, you see a communist leader. They always seem angry, don't they? Always yelling and screaming. You know, a lot of, lot of built-up hatred towards people groups, that sort of stuff. Well, the nations really are angry at God. They, t they, they think of every excuse to be angry and every excuse to hate God. I, I've, I've heard the most remarkable reasons why people don't believe in God and Jesus. 
you, you spend enough time on YouTube and, and debating with people, especially I'm, in my case, I get, you know, people attack me from uh, atheists that come on like to attack the Christians. And I'm always astounded at the excuses they use to not believe in God. I, I just think, man, is that it? Or that's a stupid excuse. It's very easy to speak that one, um, you know, to explain that one away because you, you, it's really, it's not God's fault, it's your fault or it's someone else's fault, but it's not God's fault. But they, they think of excuses because they're angry with God, they hate God. And it says, and the nations are angry and your wrath has come or is come because it's talking about a present tense there and the time of the dead that they should be judged. So this is talking right at the time of the judgment and the time of the dead that they should be judged and that you should give reward to your servants, the prophets. So time of judgment for the angry nations, but also a time that the rewards will be handed out to your servants, the prophets, and to the saints, that's believers of God. They were called saints in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And them that fear your name, and them that fear your name, small and great, and should destroy them which destroy the earth. So all of those people around that are destroying the earth through their mindset, they'll be destroyed at that time. Don't be part of the angry nations. Don't let yourself get angry at God and bitter at God. Matthew 5.22, it says this, But I tell you that everyone who is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Now, this is important. I want you to really comprehend this. When I read this, I get a lot of conviction. Everyone who is angry with his brother without a cause. It's interesting. It says without a cause. There's a lot of brothers that hate their brothers, and in the end of the day, it's, there's not much cause to it. Uh, I don't mean. I don't think that means. Oh well, if you have a cause, that you should hate him either, because we should love our enemies and we should at least love our brothers. You know, even without a, if we have a cause not to, we should still be Christian enough to love them. Angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. What does that mean? Should be da- you be in danger of standing before God of whether you're going to be saved or not. Because it says that we should forgive others just as God forgave you. And if you do not forgive others, God cannot forgive you. So if you don't forgive someone, God can't forgive you. That means any Christian that is, has unforgiveness in their heart are not saved. That's an interesting thing. A true Christian has total forgiveness for everyone and will forgive 100%. If you have any element of non-forgiveness... You're unsaved because it says your father can't forgive you. And if your father can't forgive you and if your father in heaven can't forgive you, that means you're not forgiven. That means you do not receive salvation. So that's a... See, when we're called to holiness, that's part of holiness, being forgiving, always forgiving, and having no resentment inside, no hatred, no bitterness, no root of bitterness growing up. And it's the only way to live a holy life. It's the only way to live a good life, a righteous life, a life where you, you're free from that, you know, that bitterness. Bitterness is a terrible thing. You see some old people that lived, who's seen old people that have lived lives of bitterness? And you see them and their faces are all contorted and you talk to them and it's just all hateful stuff coming out of their mouths. They can't help it and it, it breeds this horrible nature in them. You know, they die bitter. Don't let yourself be bitter. And that's why Christians, uh, we should be the furthest ring from that. Amen? 
So I tell you that everyone who is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. And whoever shall say, you fool, shall be in danger of the fire of Gehenna. Be careful if we, if we say or insult someone, say that person's a stupid idiot. That person's a loser, you know. You know, if, if a Christian says that, you know, I, I'm actually, for many years, I've been hard on myself and sometimes it slips out, oh, you know, that oh, that was so silly what that guy did or whatever. Yeah, or it's, that was just in, in, in a car and someone overtakes you, oh, it's stupid. And then I always feel conviction. I, oh, sorry, God. I don't say it out loud necessarily, but I say in my heart, I go, sorry, God, for saying that. I shouldn't say anyone is stupid or, or curse them or anything because we are in danger of the fire of hell if we use that sort of language or have that sort of uh, uh, disposition towards another. These are heavy, heavy things because it happens on a daily basis. You get an opportunity to say someone's a stupid idiot every day, don't you? Who feels like saying people are stupid idiots every day? Put up your hand, be honest. Be honest. All right, every day we feel like calling someone a stupid idiot. We're in danger of the fire of Gehenna. So we've got to change that. We've got to think, okay, if I feel like calling him a stupid idiot, I've got to say, oh, God, bless that person immensely in the name of Jesus. You know, transfer a curse into a blessing. And I'll tell you what, you'll immediately feel better in yourself. And you'll feel much better than the satisfaction you get from calling him an idiot. You know, sometimes you feel good when you say someone's bad. I don't know why we feel that way. But you'll feel even better if you've prayed for them and blessed them as a result. And then you're also safe from hell, <laughs> which is, I think, the great benefit. Happy bonus. <laughs> Happy bonus. There you go. Rob, uh, what does uh, Raka? Raka. I, I would say it would be a swear word of some kind or something. Um, I haven't looked it up. Johnny, do you know what Raka is? Is there a little footnote? Now, I'm sure now if I leave this on YouTube, someone on YouTube, let us know what Raka is because I'm probably not going to go inside and look it up. Everyone's got their Bibles open now. <laughs> yeah, Raka, I always sort of assume it's a, it's, a, it's a curse to a person and I'd say it would be... An Arabic term of an Aramaic term of contempt. Now, so judgment begins with God's people. So do you know we're going to be first up? 1 Peter 4.17. For the time has come for judgments to begin, or judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will happen to those who don't obey the good news of God? There's a scripture that says, if it's going to be difficult for the righteous to be saved, how much more will it be difficult for the sinner? So if it's going to be difficult for the righteous to be saved, that's interesting that we're told that if it will be difficult for us to be saved, how much more for the sinner? So what that means to me, when I read those sort of words, I go, okay, why is it going to be difficult for the righteous to be saved? Maybe it's because we sin so much. Maybe because there's so many failings and we accumulate failings on failings and we don't have the right doctrine, we don't understand Scripture enough so that it changes us to the core. Too many people, I get told, you know, um, that, you know, I, I teach too much and I don't focus on the supernatural. 
and the the you know the super spiritual stuff, you know, and if it's it's all head knowledge, there's no heart. Hang on, that's a man statement there. Doctrine saves us. Correct doctrine. If you have a correct doctrine, what that does is it changes your Christianity, and as a result of that changed Christianity, you get saved. If you have a false doctrine, if you believe you can do whatever you want and you won't lose your salvation, how's that going to change you? It's not going to change you drinking on a Friday and Saturday and a Sunday night and barely going to church because you always got a hangover. It's not going to change you from sleeping around. It's not going to change your drug addictions if you think there's no way you can lose your salvation. So correct doctrine makes a big difference to your Christianity. So head knowledge if you want to call it head knowledge and as in contrast to spiritual knowledge, no, this head knowledge is spiritual knowledge. It's one of the same because it enters through here and it goes into there. It doesn't enter here. It goes through that process. It's got to go through that process, right? It's, and if it doesn't go through that process, then we're under mysticism. It's got to be comprehended here and brought into here. If it's not comprehended here, it won't stay here. You know what I'm saying? It'll be lost quickly. You know? And the heart is deceptively wicked. Heart is deceptively wicked. So you've got to make sure he is comprehending and and it, it makes sense and it's doctrinally correct. Therefore, you've got to know pure doctrine. Therefore, you've got to be wary of who you listen to. That's why I always tell everybody, listen to Joe Schimmel. Listen to Joe Schimmel. He's doctrinally on the mark. Get his, get his words into your life. Listen to him. I listen to about three hours at least of Joe Schimmel every week. I need to hear it because it keeps me refined, you know. Not that I'm perfect. It just keeps me doctrinally understanding the word. And, and as a result, it changes the way I live, and it changes, it'll change all of you the same way. Amen. And also listen to me. <laughs> yeah, just send all my... Everyone, go off to Joe. No, no, I don't care. I'd love you to all go off to Joe. <laughs> just send me an email every now and then. <laughs> all right. A reminder for believers now, Hebrews 10, 26 to 27, it says, if we, and this is important, if we deliberately... That word deliberate is a big, there's a big difference between stumbling into sin or, you know, getting tempted and and falling into sin and then, you know, repenting and and not doing it again, you know. But if you deliberately just say a weekly occurrence is drugs and, you know, promiscuous sex and all this sort of stuff, and that's a weekly occurrence and you look forward to that time and you do it all the time, that's deliberate sinning. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins are left or is left. You know what that means? Nothing that Jesus did can save you anymore. This is scary, man. How would you like to know if there's no sacrifice left to cover your sins? That not even the blood of Jesus can save you now. And I didn't say this. Did I make that up? Tell me if I made that up. Tommy, it's in the scripture. (laughs) It's in the scriptures. It says, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. Now, you won't hear a once saved, always saved God preach on this. 
this scripture. It just will not run with their doctrine, so they ignore it. And then they have clever ways of talking it away. I've heard Joe Schimmel did a sermon on this and he explained how they talk it away. It doesn't make sense, but to the inept in their congregations, they accept it because they think, oh, he must be so knowledgeable. John MacArthur does a great job of talking this away. He, he babbles it away, actually. It doesn't make sense. But if you're not discerning, you won't pick it up. You'll just think, oh, John just probably wasn't clear at that point, but he knows what he's talking about. I'll believe him even still. But the Bible says if we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only, this is all you got to look forward to, a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. So you'll be considered an enemy of God. If you continually sin, deliberately sin, you are an enemy of God. Why don't Christians know this? Why don't Christians live like this? Why don't Christians let that scripture change them so they stop living like that? Amen. Who's with me on this? You can see my point. It's a, it's a, it's a very, very important point. This, this uh, knowledge of the judgment is so critical to the Christian. If you don't have it, you will be lost eternally. If you don't understand the implications of sin, if you don't understand the implications of turning your back on God or doing your own thing, if you, if you have no concept of what's going to happen on that day when you stand before God, wow, you know, you could have hell to pay forever and ever and ever, ever and ever and ever, for a long, long, that's a long time, man. Oh, the hopelessness. You know, I just think about it. I just think how hopeless, how hopeless it is there. And when I say hopeless, there is no hope left. You cannot get out of there ever again, no matter how hard you repent, no matter how hard you try to claim the blood of Jesus over you. And there will be preachers down there saying, hey, uh, you know, I think if we just plead the blood of Jesus over us, maybe God will forgive us. And, 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 you, and if you're down there with them, none of you guys you're going to just say to them, mate, forget it. It's hopeless. We are stuck here burning in these incredible temperatures and there is no escape. And you can't escape because it's like an eternal prison. No matter which way you walk, it's burning <laughs> if you can't even walk. And you're never going to get out. No little hole there that you can dive out of and you run, run away and you've escaped. Nothing. Locked up. For good. It's a desperate place. White throne judgment. Revelation 20, 11 to 15 says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it, that's Jesus, the earth and the heavens fled from his presence, because remember, he created it. He, made, he brought it about with a word, and with his word, it will flee. And there was no place for heaven or earth. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. What were they standing on? They were just transfixed out there. They were just there, hanging before God. Again, no place to run, because there's no, nothing to run on. <laughs> There's nothing to escape from. They're just there, transfixed, bare, laid lives bare before them, hanging there. And I saw the dead, great and small, meaning the mightiest men and women who have ever lived and the 
poorest of the poor who have ever lived and everything in between, standing before the throne and books were opened and another book was opened, which was the book of life. Man, there's going to be a chill up and down your spine when that book opens. The book of life. Yep. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Now, these books contain every bit of information about you, every last drop from the moment you were born to the moment you died, every thought, every action, every last thing has been recorded. Nothing is left out, good and bad. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it because people die at sea. That's where their bodies lay. So there's, there's two places to die, over at sea or at land, right? And they're buried in one of the two places. The sea gave up the dead that were in it and the deaf and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. Uh, and each person was judged according to what they had done. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. Death and Hades and, and Hades in this point is referencing the hell, the holding place. Uh, the lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. You know, when I first read that, that was it. I was determined. My name has got to be in that book. My name has got to get in that book. And I never want it to be erased. Because there's references to where Jesus says, yeah, and your name will never be erased from the book of life. Now, if he, he wouldn't have used the term erase or blotted out unless it was possible. Because if that means that some people have had their names in it and have had it removed. Again, proving that not once saved is not always saved. And that would be a testimony to them. Do you realise your name is in the book of life here, but then you went off the rails and you never came back and then it was gone? You know? So we've got to make sure our name's in the book of life and then we've got to make sure it stays in the book of life. Put up your hand if you want your name in the book of life. Put up your hand if you believe your name is in the book of life. You've got to know. You've got to know. If you believe this stuff, if your heart's turned to Jesus, you just know. You just know. So he's coming to judge. Jude 1, 14 to 16, Enoch, who was the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them and he said this, See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones. That's the sounds like the second coming to me, doesn't it? To judge everyone. He's coming to judge. And to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness. To commit all of them of all the ungodly acts that they've committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So every word that a man or a woman has spoken against God, they're going to be committed for that because God has it all recorded in those books. It's all there. Books will be opened. You know, imagine what Richard Dawkins will feel at that time. Books are opened. Uh, Richard, uh, mate, every second thing you've said throughout, you know, this portion of your life was against me. You're going to be, he's going to be committed for that. I don't care what he believes. I believe the Bible over Richard Dawkins any day, any day. I'll claim, I'll believe in the Bible over any man book man-written book or man-concept or man-philosophy. Absolutely. Once you've read it, if your heart hasn't been changed, then there's something wrong with you. But 
once you know it, you can't turn away from it. And I'm amazed how many do. And the only reason they do is because they stop reading it, they stop getting it in their heart, they stop the getting conviction, or they don't want to get conviction, you know, among many other reasons. So these people are grumblers and fault finders. See, they find fault with God, always with God, never with themselves. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. See, the only, the only way you get a, some, a flattering remark from these guys is when they want something. Apart from that, they, they won't give out any praise or encouragement. So that's who's going to be judged, people like that. John 3.19 says, This is the judgment, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light for their works were evil. Men much prefer darkness. Matthew 12.36, I tell you that every idle word that men speak, they will give account of it on the day of judgment. Every idle word. Every last word. Romans 2.5, But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. Because of your stubborn, stubbornness and unrepentant heart. Paul could be saying that, he, he's definitely saying that to unbelievers, but he could be saying that to believers. And more than likely, there's a lot of stubborn, unrepentant believers that believe. I've had people say, you, you, you don't have to keep repenting, you just repent once and that's it. Hang on, I, I believe you've got to pr- produce fruit with, in keeping with repentance. And if you keep with repentance, that means you stay repentant. And staying repentant means you stay with your decision to turn your back on sin. That's staying and keeping with repentance. And that means if you slip, you repent back onto that repentant path. And that's a humble path. But if you don't have a repentant heart, if you don't think you have to repent, then you're a stubborn, unrepentant person. And a lot of them are Christian. So that's dangerous. Now, these are two I won't read now because they're a bit long, as if I would ever have had the time to read them. I don't know what I was thinking. But anyway, Romans 1, 18 to 32 is a really good passage for you guys to read. Read it slowly in, in light of what we're talking about now. And also 2 Peter 2, 4 to 10. That's also an important passage in relation to judgment. I won't read them now. Jude 1.6 says, And the angels which kept not their first estate but left their own habitation, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness to the judgment of the great day. We're talking about, they're talking about the fallen angels that came down and, uh, and impregnated women and Nephilim were born to them. Um, and these angels he has reserved in everlasting chains under the darkness to the judgment of the great day. We won't go there now. Last days, 2 Peter 3, 3 to 9. Above all, you must understand that in the last days... You've heard me preach this scripture quite a few times. Scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. How many people do you know scoff at God? Uh, we experience it all the time, don't we? You know, there's so many scoffers out there and they follow their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. As if to say, nothing's changed, Jesus has never returned. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow 
in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And he also says, since the world's going to be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to his coming. We ought to live holy and godly lives because this world is perishing. This world is not going to last. We're going to Greece to get a look at Greece because it's not going to be there after Jesus returns though in its current form, you know, it's going to be destroyed by fire. And uh, we ought to live holy and godly lives, shouldn't we? We should live holy and godly lives as we look forward to his coming. And that should be our preparation for him. You know, if you've got visitors coming from overseas and you prepare the house, you want it to look the best, don't you? You cut the lawn, you make everything sharp, smooth, you clean the floors, you do the carpets, you shine everything, you do your spring cleaning, you clean the curtains. You know, that's if you're concerned with, you know, giving a good impression when they first walk in. You clean their room, you make it all nice, put the bed nice. You do everything like that. You prepare for someone's coming, especially if they're important. Jesus is coming. We've got to prepare. And in the same way we prepare a house, we've got to prepare this temple. It's supposed to be a holy temple. Make it sure it's holy. Make sure it's clean. Clean as a whistle. So when Jesus comes, he goes, wow, what a clean temple. And what a beautiful temple. My Holy Spirit has loved being in your temple. You've kept it so clean. I think that's important. So in conclusion, Romans 2.6, God will repay each person according to what they've done. God's going to repay each person according to what they've done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honour and immortality, he will give eternal life. He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be wrath and anger for those who follow evil. There's going to be wrath and anger. So make sure you seek doing good, seek glory, honour and immortality and he will give you eternal life. You know, I, I, I continually try to stress, guys, one day we are going to be living in that eternal life. We are living in it now. The moment you accept Jesus, you've crossed over from death to life. You're a new creation. You become a new creature in Christ. From that moment, you are an eternal creature in life. Everyone's eternal. But some are eternal in death, like they live temporarily, but when they die, they'll die forever. But we live to die like a seed which dies momentarily before it lives, to grow into the real plant. So if you think that you're a good looker now, that's nothing. You're as different as the seed to the beautiful flower that's going to grow from that seed. So you're, you're going to be this amazing creature once you get into in you, into your eternal state and you receive your imperishable body so eternity waits for us eternity is waiting for us and we will live in it who believes that who wants to be there yeah amen all right so romans 5 18 says therefore as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation one offense which was the offense of uh, uh adam even so, by the righteousness of one of the free gifts came upon all men unto justification of life. So as of from uh, the righteousness of one who is Jesus. 
the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. You will receive eternal life just through faith in Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 4, 7. But the end of all things is near, therefore. It tells us to be of sound mind. We've got to have a sound mind. That means we've got to, if our mind doesn't feel sound or, or if we don't think sound thoughts, run the Bible through it. That's what I think. You know, wash your mind in the, in the Word of God. Make sure you wash your mind in the Word of God every day. You know, most of you will not get up and go somewhere uh, unwashed. <laughs> you'll have a shower. You'll make yourself smell nice. You put on, you know, girls will put on perfume. Men will put on aftershave or whatever. You'll make yourself smell good. You'll look good. You put on some nice clothes. Then you go, right? And in the same way, do that with your spiritual self. You know, make yourself smell with the aroma of Christ. You should be the aroma of Christ to people as you go out. And you won't have that aroma unless you spray yourself with the Bible. <laughs> you know what I mean? Get it on you. Amen. Who's getting this? Yeah? All right. So be, but the end of all things in there, therefore, be of sound mind. Self-controlled, that means, you know, be careful how you act and, and the things you do. You know, uh, we all fail in that, you know, but we've got to get better. We've got to be more self-controlled and sober in prayer, meaning we've got to make sure for firstly that we do pray. And when we do pray, make sure we're really connected with our prayers. So we pray the right prayers that will, prayers that will make a difference. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, God. Lord, we thank you for this word today. And I pray that it really has had a a positive impact on all of us here and also everyone that will be listening to it on on YouTube uh, around the world. I pray that this prayer goes, uh, this sermon goes far and wide and touches hearts everywhere and that uh, all of us will live better, more holy lives as a result of, of this sermon. Thank you for the anointing and I pray that you be with us now and bless all of our efforts to live holy and righteous before you. And I pray this in your wonderful name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you search Rob Cartledge in the iTunes store or go to www.robcartledge.com, you'll see a number of different sermon series uncovering religion, truth, judgment, and eternity, apologetics 101, critical doctrine, and end times. Feel free to check them out.